we're in a series on spiritual gifts at the moment and uh, going to just recap briefly where we've got to. Uh, we have looked at these verses. Been having some trouble with the clicker. Maybe we need to invest in some new batteries. There we go. Uh, so now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations or the power of the Spirit to be demonstrated, strive to excel in building up the church. And then Andy brought us last week to the realization that we are one body with many members with a variety of gifts that all need to be engaged and used and used to their full potential in order to be a fully functioning, healthy body. So I just wanted to remind you of the context of where we're at. My name is Aaron. If, if it's your first time with us, I'm one of the elders here at Christ First. And uh, again, I want to welcome you and say it's great to have you with us. If you have signed on Rick, uh, just before, uh, just oh, sorry, after the, the announcements this morning, just want to remind you of the quiz on Thursday uh, evening and the prayer meeting, the family church uh, prayer meeting on the 5th of May. John Lennon famously wrote this, uh, these words, all you need is love, all you need is love, all you need is love, love, love is all you need. So I want to ask you two questions this morning. The first is, is love all you need? And then the second one, which is a slightly more tricky one, perhaps, is are people good or bad? What do you think? Do you think that people are good or bad? And we'll come back to that question later. But I want to ask that question again. Is all you need love? Is love all you need? If you haven't looked up the lyrics for the song, All You Need Is Love, which I love. It's a fantastic song. I do love it. I enjoy it to listen to. I like listening to the Beatles with my children. It, gets, it makes a break from listening to the Trolls soundtrack, which isn't terrible, but it's not ideal. But all you need is love? Is that, is that true? Well, this morning we're going to look at one of the most uh, famous and oft-quoted Bible passages. Uh, and because it's uh, so often quoted and so often referred to, it's very often misunderstood or misquoted to some extent anyway. The general feel, perhaps, if I'm being charitable, uh, is okay but generally there is a there's a little bit of a misunderstanding of it which is unhelpful uh when i was a child when i, I can't remember I, I meant to show a picture but you would have all just been distracted by how cute i was as a child but we were on holiday in france and my parents uh, promised us each uh, some money if we memorized particular bible verses and bible passages which as a, as a parent, I think is a good, you know, it was a good strategy. I enjoyed it as a recipient of the money. Um, but this passage of scripture, or at least a section of it, we, me and my brothers and sister, were challenged to memorize in order to, I think my parents hoped it would mean we would, been, 
we would be nicer to each other, um, which I'm not sure that it worked, but we, uh, we managed to, most of us managed to memorize it anyway, and we got, got the reward. But uh, Gareth's going to queue up uh, just a, a piece of music, and I'm going to read to us this piece of scripture, because you may have heard it read something like this. So uh, when the music begins, I'll begin. Are we okay, Gareth? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You may have heard... You can stop that music now. You, could, you may have heard love... The, the section in 1 Corinthians, the chapter of 1 Corinthians read in that fashion as a kind of love poem, perhaps at a wedding. And in some ways, I understand why it's read in that context and like that. However, however, this this verses these verses should not be read in that way primarily you may want to reflect on them in that context and think within my marriage i should be loving but this this is a little bit more how they should be read so if you can cue up the next bit of music and i'm going to read a few verses from the previous chapter and uh, one verse of chapter 14 as well to help us grasp it in context we good? Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret but earnestly desire the higher gifts? And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish ways. I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Pursue love. This is not a foppish love poem. I quite like poetry. At least I've attempted a rhyming couplet or two in my time. But this is not a foppish love poem. This is more like a cross between telling off a spoiled child and a, and a war cry, a rallying cry to a revolution to say, come on, join, join in. This is a radical way to live. This will alienate you from some because it is just so crazy. It's a radical other focused life. Live your life not for yourself. Love has launched many songs. But what is love? What is love? If you're saying, baby, don't hurt me, <laughs> you're a person after my own heart. <laughs> what is love? It's listed so many times there, isn't it? We need to go on to the next slide. Sorry, I'll, this, is, this is behind. <clears throat> in this misrepresented passage, in this often misunderstood passage and this misunderstood word, I think the problem occurs partly due to our poor language. In, in a, I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like Eskimos have 50 words for snow, you know, that kind of thing. We have one word for love. I love ice cream. I love my wife. Hopefully those two things are not comparable. So partly our poor language. Is, and so in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are two words that are used for love, agape and filio. And filio is, is the, the, the term for brother, brotherly love, affection between uh, brothers or siblings or, and sort of that kind of uh, affection or love. And agape is the other word that's used. And it's used to describe the word of the, for love that God has for, for humankind and the, the kind of love that we should have for one another. And in this instance, this, this uh, section 1 Corinthians 13, agape is used and so it's not a romantic love. It's not talking about the love between spouses or a couple. It's not a soppy feeling. It's not talking about, you know, because you really like this person and you like the way they smell and you like the way they look and you like the way that they brush their hair, you should behave in this way. It's not that kind of love. And it's not even the kind of love that's saying, because you're friends with this person, you should behave this way. It's not even the kind of love that's saying, because you share genetic markers with this person and you were born to the same parents, that you should behave this way. Agape love is an active denial of self for the benefit of others kind of love. 
Definitions of agape include words like unmerited, selfless, faithful, commitment and an act of will. It's the highest form of love. It's often described as unconditional. I'm not sure I quite like the term unconditional, but it communicates something, doesn't it? In some translations of the Bible, and maybe in the one that you were reading, it doesn't even say love in that section of Scripture. It says charity. Now, charity, words evolve. The, the meaning of words evolve. I was talking to uh, my in-laws yesterday about the, the, <laughs> the term grab. I'm just going to grab that. Can you grab me this? And my, <laughs> my mother-in-law says, you don't, meet, you don't really want me to grab that because if that's, you know, it's not the word you mean. Um, you mean, can I pass you this or can you pick this up? It's, it's, words, the meaning of words changes. Charity isn't, in some ways it still has, maintains the meaning, but people don't want to be a charity case. And so I think it's helpful actually that it's not, no longer rendered as charity in this. But this idea that charity is being focused on others, loving others, giving of yourself for the benefit of others. That's what we mean when we say charity, isn't it? I went to a a wedding, my wife and I went to a wedding where the minister refused, he had an old version of the Bible, an old King James version, and he refused to read that scripture with the word love. He He would only read it with the word charity, which I think was not very charitable of him. But these verses come in the middle of teaching on spiritual gifts. We need to remember that, that this is all in the context of spiritual gifts. And then be the Corinthian church being told off about the manner and the way in which they're using the spiritual gifts that they have. We looked a little bit at that last week. We're going to look a bit, at, a bit more at it next week. But in the context of them using the gifts selfishly, Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. Desire the gifts, and I'll show you a more excellent way. This is the excellent way, the way of love. This kind of agape love, this other-focused, self-sacrificing love is central to Christianity. Andy touched a bit on this last week, so I won't go into it too much, but I do want to make it clear that this is core to who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. Because God is love. 1 John 4 makes this clear. 1 John 4 is perhaps the true chapter on love in terms of containing the word love the most. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or known among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. So I want to just... I want to draw two things out from this, these verses just very briefly. 
The first is to note that he begins, the, John the writer is saying, beloved, he's saying, church family, let us love one another. He's speaking first to the church. In, within the church, love should be evident. But not only in that context, it should spill out. But I want to emphasize that, that in that church context, it should be shown. We should love one another. Do you have a hard time loving your brothers and sisters in this church, in the wider church? So that's one thing to note. Primarily, this, these verses are addressed to the church. To say, let us love one another. But there's also a provocation to love those outside the church. And then the second thing is to note that it says, God is love, not love is God. God is not one-dimensional or woolly. And we're not, so we're not saying that God is only love. And, and when we say love, we don't mean, you know, I don't know, butterflies and rainbows and unicorns prancing around and soft focus as one of the cameras was earlier. We don't mean that kind of thing. We mean that God is love. And so when there is genuine love, when there is genuine agape love, that that is, it should draw our attention to God. And what we define as love, what we think is loving, is not God. It's not the, the final say. It's not one-dimensional. Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs 3, tells us that God disciplines those he loves. So when we say love, we don't just mean all of the, the most fun things you can think of. Actually, sometimes love is ch a challenge. Love is someone giving discipline. Parents, if you love your children, discipline them. Consistently with clear explanation and conviction. Don't fudge it. Find a way to reward your children. Find a way to give them undeserved reward, undeserved, not reward, undeserved gifts. Find a way to do that. It doesn't have to be a big thing, but it by all means, enforce that positive, I love you and I'm going to bless you because I love you. But there needs to be clear, consistent discipline as well because that's how you show you love them. It can be hard, but I want to encourage you, parents of three small children, do it. You will reap the benefits and they will too. God is love. Jesus' presence, his life on earth is driven by love. John 3, 16, again, a famous verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. In John 11, Jesus weeps at the death of Lazarus and the pain that it causes. He arrives at the, the sort of wake funeral of his friend and he weeps. Jesus wept, another famous verse. 
Jesus was regularly moved with compassion. It's a list of verses. I'll just run through them. You can look them up at your leisure later on. But in Matthew 9, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Impact and Crash kids this morning were learning about lost sheep and how there's a celebration when the sheep are found. There are lost sheep out there all around us that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so they're looking to the wrong people in the wrong places to guide them. You can be annoyed by those people, you can get angry with those people, or you can be moved and have compassion on those people because they're harassed and helpless. Matthew 14 says, When he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Begin to see a link between Jesus' compassion and his love for people and moving in the power of the Spirit. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm, <coughs> excuse me, I'm willing to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way, which is the, the sort of segue, the leading into the miraculous feeding of thousands. People appealed to Jesus' compassion the father of a, a boy who had seizures or fits who would, because of an evil spirit, would cast him into fire and water to try and kill the boy. He said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus saw a widow during the funeral of her son and had compassion on her and raised the son from the dead. That's Luke 7. So we could read these verses like this. Christ is patient and kind. Christ does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Now let me finish before you judge me on this next point. He does not insist on his own way, but he submits himself to the will of the Father for our benefit. I hope I haven't strayed into heresy there. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Christ bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. How has Christ loved you? He's loved you when you failed. He's been patient and kind to you. He's not envious of the life you've got. He doesn't boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He's not irritable or resentful. He's not resentful for you, to you for the fact that, and to me, for the sins that we have committed are the reason he had to die. If ever anyone had reason to boast, it was Jesus Christ. If ever anyone had reason to be irritable and resentful, it was Jesus Christ. You stupid disciples. I'm here trying to save you and you're arguing about who's the greatest. 
Now, he did challenge them. There are moments where it appears that he got frustrated or he was disappointed that they didn't get it. But he wasn't irritable or resentful. He was patient and kind. Christ has loved us. He loves you. Even if you have never loved him back, he loves you. And this is what he said to his disciples in John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And he, in response to being questioned about what's the greatest commandment, said this in Matthew 22, again, famous verses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The challenge then was, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that story where the stranger, the foreigner, the alien has compassion on the one who should hate him, who probably did hate him. Jesus says, go and do the same. So John Lennon said, all you need is love. But Paul said, pursue love. And earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Especially that you may prophesy. And it's in that context that we're, sort of, I suppose, we're carrying on. We're, we're saying earnestly desire spiritual gifts. We're eager for a move of the Spirit, for a continued move of the Spirit. And we want to pursue love. You might feel slightly shortchanged. I was talking to Meg and my wife yesterday, uh, and she said, "You know, are we going to start talking about the actual gifts <laughs> at any point?" And I said, "Yeah, that, start, that starts next week." Um, so you may feel shortchanged. We've had three weeks on a series on spiritual gifts, and we haven't really referenced any particular gifts. Andy did a little bit last week, but I think there are foundational things that need to be in place. And so it's important for us to emphasize those. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts because you might have the best prophetic gift that has ever been seen this side of the New Testament. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. You might be the most generous person, the most self-sacrificing person, but all the time you're doing it, in your heart you're thinking, no one's grateful. No, no one recognizes that I do this. No one even appreciates all that I'm doing for them. You gain nothing. What's the best that you've got? If you don't have love, who cares? 
we're at a point, we're almost like kind of in a reset mode, I suppose, for church. There's going to be a time where we're coming back in to church and uh, in terms of being physically together again. And uh, people are going to need to serve and do stuff. I'm saying this, uh, this is probably a <laughs> slightly risky thing to say. If you don't love your brothers and sisters that you're serving, if you're not serving out of a love for them, maybe don't do it. And if that means actually we don't get to do certain things on a Sunday, don't get to do certain things on a Sunday because it's not of benefit. It's not a benefit to you. It's not a benefit really to those you're serving. Hopefully that won't be a problem, but I'm saying to you, pursue love. It's no good me teaching or Andy teaching or anyone who gets the chance to preach teaching you from the Bible if they don't love you. There's a video, I can't remember the guy's name exactly, but he, he's basically, he's preaching, he gets lots of views on YouTube, this preacher, and he's preaching about why the local church pastor that you're a part of is a better preacher than he is. And his main point is, because that guy loves you and I have got no idea who you are. I want to commend to you, church, Andy Smith. Andy Smith loves you. He gives himself for you. He loves you and this church. It's an honour to serve alongside a brother like that. Pursue love. You cannot have hate in your heart. It can't be allowed to stay there. I was chatting to someone as I was preparing this sermon, actually, and I know, they didn't mean the words like this, but the, way they, the only way they could express how they were feeling was they said, I just find that I hate people. can't have hate in your heart this is not a message just for that person but I think it's important for us to know we can't live in that state John 4 uh, 1 John 4 sorry says this let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love in this, the love of God was made known among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. 